Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, I'm Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. What up? And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Coming straight from Australia. Now, as Virat has intimated, we're going to be continuing in our trend of talking about films we're not especially keen on this week with the sequel to Coming to America, Coming to America, um, grammatically correct. Before we do that, we will be talking just briefly about the things that are happening around town this week. The Elements for Unsafe French Film Festival, which started last week, is in full swing at Verona Central, the Orpheum. It's it's everywhere. Go see it. It should be, be more successful than last year's one, which was interrupted by COVID after record low ticket sales. Well, the initial run in March you're referring to, but when it did they, return when it, cinemas reopened, it returned. That according to the media event, it was actually the biggest event post COVID last year in the country. Wow, good on there you go. So, and we're getting a lot of world premieres because French films and other films aren't premiering anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Jewish International Film Festival is ongoing at the Ritz in the beautiful Rose Hill Cinema. Transitions Film Festival is happening online for another week. The Milwaukee Film Festival, which kicks off tomorrow, is uh, screening some, uh, some events in person, but some events online. The Japanese Film Festival from tomorrow night through Sunday have got uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi retrospective screening at Chevelle Cinema. The last four films he made, he's most well known as the director of the cult classic House. So check that out. The screenings are actually free. So if they haven't sold out yet, um, good opportunity to go see some interesting movies. And Kino Sydney are having an edit day in Alexandria on Saturday. So you've got a bunch of films you want to edit or projects you want to work on. Just sit around with people with headphones who are doing the same things as you. Just a bit of company. Go join them. It's a lot of fun. Good motivation for filmmakers who are sitting on unfinished projects, aka all of them. I've been to Kino days like that before. We motivate each other. They're good. And Sunset Cinema, North Sydney, and Moonlight Cinemas are continuing. But for now, we're talking streaming on Amazon Prime coming to America. It is a sequel to the 1988 film directed by John Landis. This is directed by Craig Brewer, who collaborated with Eddie Murphy on one of Eddie Murphy's best recent films of the past, well, 20 His years. best recent film, I would He's, say. Okay, I'd say his best film in, what, 30 years, maybe. Yeah, it's so, probably true. Since the, I like Beverly Hills Cop 3, I'm an outlier. I liked it when I was a kid. I haven't revisited it in a very long time. So I liked the first Nutty Professor. Is this a lot? Am I allowed uh, to you, say that? You're referring to the um, Jerry Lee Lewis film. It was great. <laughs> no, no, the Eddie Murphy remake. So uh, Jerry Lewis, excuse me. Yeah, but yeah okay. That, that yeah, was yeah. not a that was not a good movie at all. But we we, ne- we never get it. That's the most coverage we ever get of Nutty Professor on this show. <laughs> we are film stops at heart. Uh, this is set. 30 years after the events of Coming to America, where Prince Akeem of Zamunda, the original Wakanda, and a much better version, is uh, has grown-up daughters, and he's facing a situation where the king, played by James L. Jones, may no longer be the king for very longer. Uh, he, obviously, a male heir has to inherit the throne, according to Zamundan law, and he finds out in an absolute shameless retcon of the events of the first film that he has a son somewhere in Queens, the land of opportunity, America. They've really bent over backwards to try and justify a woke plot where Akeem learns again that women are good. Actually, not, not, he doesn't learn that again. He knew that in the first one and was at odds with everyone, but somehow, miraculously, in the last 30 years, he's, he's decided forgotten it. he's forgotten everything that the first film based his character around. I, I would argue, however, that, and I'm going to go on to talk about how much I love the first film, but 
in fairness, there has been a lot of proper review of the, fir- the first film in a number of last 30 years in regards to its attitudes towards women, particularly some scenes which weren't recreated in the subsequent film. However, something that isn't talked about is the whole film he spends lying to her, to Lisa, in an effort to court her. So That's speaking true. of his attitudes towards women, not all au fait. That's true. I'm not here to say that the original Coming to America is woke, but his whole thing was, um, you know, marriage should be about love, at number one, and two... I want to be with a woman who is smart and can carry herself and well, has her own dreams and ambitions. Someone who is, inspires my loins as well as my intellect, I think, was his line. <laughs> right, right. It's Mr. Darcy of, of his times. Yeah. And Nothing I, like Mr. Darcy. I, I get that he loves his dad and his dad is the traditionalist. But in the first one, the dad learnt to... Um, Okay, spoilers for the original Coming to America. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, you should have seen it. It was on Friday, every Friday night on Channel 10 for yeah. years. And also, this is a pretty predictable outcome, so it's not that big a spoiler anyway. In the first film, the traditionalist dad learns to compromise a little bit and adapt with the times. So the idea that he's putting on all this pressure, you must follow the tradition when he's already broken the tradition in a major way in the first one. And you know, it's different traditions, but in fairness, yes, I think more fundamentally the issue is that it's the same arc from the first film. And while mm. the first film was very predictable, it was it was still charming. This didn't have that chance to carry the predictability through. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of the parable, the fact that we are recording this and talking about, you know, uh, the attitude towards women on International Women's Day. Yes, we are pre-recording this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, with all the, the women here with us to help up record <laughs> this episode for you. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. And, um, Fair call. Yeah, but the premise is just so weak, you know. As you say, it's a shameless retcon. Um, it's also, if we're going to talk about wokeness, you know, it, it very much plays down rape of women by men, doesn't it? If you think about it. We're referring to the first... No, the, the setup of this one, the, the retcon of what, what took place. Oh, yes. It, it makes very light of a sexual assault. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, an extreme one, but it's played for played for laughs, laughs, and it's not a not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, they they bring in these characters to justify this uh, turn in this the history of the story, events that clearly didn't transpire during the first film, and it's and also which, ju- like a pretty ridiculous concept. Like I, I know coming to America has always been silly, but the idea that you know, oh, I, I we, there was sex that that I don't remember took place because I was drugged. You know, like, it's just, it's pretty desperate. It's just the whole thing. Like, was that really the best plot they could have come up with for a sequel? I don't believe it. There are so many better storylines that could have gone with this. They could have spent more time. I, I, what I did appreciate about this was that I liked in the first one, how it was fish out of water, our perspective of America. They didn't try to repeat that. Cause obviously there's 30 years later, these guys would have traveled back there in that time. The focus was on Samunda. And I liked the little bit of world building. The first film, I liked the world building in this one. Um, as someone who's African, I loved seeing a nation that is prosperous, where people are happy, where, which isn't so impacted by colonialism as so many other nations have been. Obviously people got a taste for this with Wakanda, Black Panther, but Samunda did it first. Yeah, interestingly, I was reading that um, Ryan Coogler, who did Black Panther, was a huge fan of the first Coming to America, and ac- yeah, of course he was. Actually, wanted <laughs> it's a great movie. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and actually wanted to do the sequel himself. But um, yeah, there's there's a big legacy for this film for Black and African creatives and filmmakers who are inspired by seeing a, a vision of an African u- utopia that's prosperous. 
And as an aside, for everyone who loves The Lion King, let's not forget that before Madge Sinclair and James Earl Jones were king and queen of the Pride Lands, they were king and queen in the first coming to America, which is a nice little callback for those like my parents who, wait a minute, we've seen <laughs> these people before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just wonder why this film got made in the first place. Like, who was... Money. That's the whole uh, thing for yeah, me. It's, it's confusing. Eddie Murphy has not been relevant for 30 years as well. I mean... He's okay. looking for new. He's looking for relevance by trying to recapture his biggest film hit. You know, it's Taylor's oldest time it's, since Forty Eight Hours. I guess that was pretty big as well. It, it's it's sad though. It's, Beverly, Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, but he's trying to do Beverly Hills Cop for as well. I have no There's there's been this triplets, this twin sequel. I'm not making this up in production, pre-production with Eddie Murphy. For a long time with Eddie Murphy. Oh man, yeah. But uh, uh, again, the was retcons. The, the, the time has passed for that. It, it definitely has. Yeah. I mean, the, you could say the time has passed for coming to America, but we all kind of wanted this to be good, right? We all wanted it. Like, it's it's so obvious that it would be bad. Like, th- 30 years plus comedy sequel. Yeah. But, like, uh, the, the Bill and Ted movies, uh, the, the, the latest one, wasn't too bad. It wasn't too yeah. bad, so yeah. So I was just it, like, you it know, captured it captured more hope. of the magic than this one did. Yeah, yeah. It, it gave me hope that, you know, you can have a significant gap and still recreate some of the original magic and the kind mm. of slacker sort of feel to it. So if that could do it, I thought maybe this film could actually recapture some of the essence of the original film, mm. which uh, apart from Wesley Snipes, I don't see what so, this film was doing. So on that, I'll return to Wesley Snipes in a moment and you're listening to Film Fight Club with Glenn Fiong, Chris Evans and Virat Nehru. Um, I take the view, more fundamentally what the first film was about was this um, relationship that many members of the African-American community and certainly um, black communities abroad have with um, the African heritage and reflecting on that and certainly in a world with, in the 1980s where people are travelling between different nations more and more interactions between different black and African cultures. I loved that in the first one and in the second one I think there was a real opportunity to reckon with this in a modern day. I think it touches on the same notes and themes that it did in the 1980s without elaborating on these themes more. I think this is a really, really big, probably the biggest missed opportunity of the film. Um, I liked that he goes and meets these families in the US and they have this uh, sense of awe and wonder when they come to, when they have to start reckoning with Samunda. And I think we saw that with Lisa and the McDowells in the first film. There's nothing really new and there's nothing very modern about this film. This script could have been set 20 10 years ago there's nothing that i think says this is a film that needed to be made now or affects no. what's happening now but it's definitely an update on the first coming to america because coming to america um let's not forget that the mcdowells were pretty wealthy right like look at look at their house you know yeah. here they've tried to flip it into like a poor struggling black guy you know who's who's real like single mother like they're leaning into um a more like contemporary stereotypes about black experience um, have, having said that though i think there was a fair bit of commentary about then contemporary black experience in the first film because the father once at least it did talk about um how hard he worked and their experiences growing up and being black yeah, in america true. so um but I, I did appreciate that we introduced to the main new black character in this film someone who was someone who is um struggling to get a job and facing discrimination as a black person mm. And it's just that the writing's so on the nose. Like, um, it, it's I feel similarly uh, um, to the the scene introducing him to uh, how I felt about a lot of the writing in Promising Young Woman, where it's just kind of like a lot of the tropes of woke discourse, like a lot of the cliches about white people say these things. Well, well it, I, I I know that the, the this is 
based in reality. I know that it, it comes from a real place, but just sort of seeing all the cliches in a row, it's like they've, you know, the, the tone of the script is like, ha ha, isn't it like this? As opposed it's, to- It's, it's basically- we, like we all know these Regurgitating jokes. news headlines and doing like trying to find them a space in some sense. It kind of feels like you've read like all it, these it stories before. Yeah, like the characters don't so much uh, in Promising Young Woman or this guy here, like it aren't even like a real conception of in that film a sexist guy or, or you know, a kind of racist guy so much as they are like all the cliches of our current conception from a bunch of think pieces laid out all in one scene. Um, I, don't I just don't like that type of writing. I, I think the character, while they did put a lot of things, a lot of different uh negative sexism to one scene. I think there are people out there like that. So I, I and I know yeah, that commentary are. was confined to one scene, but I still appreciated that it was true to life, set up what this character was struggling against. Um, I don't discount the film from being topical in that sense. Um, even if it all was all very, all the lines that were trying to get different points across were in very quick succession. Sure. Yeah. I, th I think in general, the woke angle of this film is just kind of predictable and doesn't really bring anything that you wouldn't have predicted it would have brought in coming into this film. It's like, if you think, okay, what's coming to America going to be like in 2021? All right. We, you know, we learn to be woke. But, but, but that's, but that's the problem of the film, isn't it? Because as you alluded to quite correctly, the film begins in a very slippery slope. So you didn't, you don't think it's going to go into an ultra woke, uh, angle from that beginning oh, right? right you know yeah. because it has both these aspects about you know kind of casually playing you know, over sexual assault pretty much and then going super woke and for me tonally that just sat so wrong yeah it's weird it's, it felt yeah. a bit icky i don't think i actually don't think the film what emphasis the film was trying to be woke i think it's trying to go for um nostalgia and a lot of very quick well laughs. you're right because when we talk about how the film opens what do we get okay here's mcdowell's is like fight scenes, like in the original, like a succession of cameos and gags. Um, better fight scenes, lesser dance scenes, I'm going to say. From but so many goddamn dance scenes. There was like one in the original, and here it's it, for the opening of the film, it feels like there's a dance scene every five or ten minutes. And a great man, a musician coming in, which I didn't mind. A, a cameo from uh, someone who's providing voiceover, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, there, there were a few, there were a few fun cameos from the first film and callbacks. I wish they'd brought back Samuel L. Jackson. It was one of his first oh, very yeah, important that, roles. That actually would have been really funny. It's like, I just I just got out of prison and uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to screw you over, Zamunda. <laughs> yeah, actually, an action scene with Sam Jackson would have done a lot to redeem this film for me. And he's worked with Craig Brewer before. Maybe he was busy. But I liked I liked the cameos. I enjoyed that. We were talking um, before we started recording about how this controversy has come out that. A senior hall has raised that um, they the studio insisted they have a not all black cast, so they had the guy from McDowell's who made a appearance here. As by my count, there was one other non-black character in this film. Yeah, um, the, oh, in the first one, there's the taxi driver, but I think I think the demand is like, hey, let's have a, a white guy in the main cast. But I love that they picked the McDowell's guy. <laughs> um, just just really just nerdy, awkward. Yeah, apparently um, he was in the film because he's a good stand-up and Eddie Murphy wanted to give him a break. Um, but hold on, his name is Louis Anderson. We'll give him that, that respect. He was good. He was good. Yeah. He was also good. Uh, Wesley Snipes as the leader of Nextoria. Wesley Snipes was, was really funny. Nextoria made me laugh because yeah. it's so dumb. It was like unobtainium <laughs> in Avatar. That was one of the only funny things in the film for this me, actually. This film wasn't trying to be smart. Actually, speaking of which, there's only one unsubtle joke in the film. And in fairness, I didn't pick it up. I was chatting to someone before and they pointed it out to me. The hair gel gag from the first film, those bottles of hair gel were all around the barbershop whenever they went in. I noticed the poster for the, for the hair gel from the first film. Yeah, that was, okay, subtle, good, one, one thing. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it's just... Cool. Like, it's, it's just, like, there's not much... I guess there's a decent amount of energy to it, but, like, there's no Wesley funny... Snipes Wesley Snipes is hilarious when, when he enters. He he looks like he's trying not to laugh, as, yeah. but it actually elevates the performance yeah. as he does this ridiculous like dance, to, yeah. marching it everywhere. Just so, the bravado, the gushes of his role, um, him just... And he's the, he's the African nation where all the kids are um, living in not ideal conditions. It's quite extreme and... Should, uh, we, should we talk about the biggest problem in the film, which is... The film centers around Eddie Murphy, and he's just ridiculously bad. Well, it's it's weird because, and he has no funny lines. He has no, not a single funny line in the entire film. I think really it centers around Jermaine Fowler as the son. I feel think he feels like more of the protagonist. He feels seems like he it's has more fa- screen father time. son relationship kind of a thing. It's yeah, but Eddie Eddie is coasting, and Eddie neither has interesting things to do in the writing nor actually brings much to elevate the performance here. Yeah, I mean it's funny because he's built a career in physical comedy, and there's none of that. He's yeah. actually relying more on quippy sort of smugness than anything else, and he's not a good smug comedian. Mm. He's trying to be, you know, uh, kind of a Bill Burr style smug comedian shtick or Richard Pryor kind of a uh, you know, not, style of comedy. I actually don't put this down to Murphy. We've seen in the past few years when he's given good material that he can thrive as a Dolomite. I think the problem with Murphy is the writing of the character. It's not the, – the character hasn't moved on in 30 years. It was funny 30 years ago when he was naive and going to New York, but they haven't written him beyond that. So it's not funny that he's still this naive, sheltered prince. It's just sad. But, but no, but the first film had a lot of physical comedy. I think Eddie Murphy, Fish Out of Water thing, he had a lot of physical gags in the first film. The first film had not a lot of... they replayed, like the bit in the club where they showed... Yeah, the, and that was know. good, but that's the thing. I mean, this film has no... F- None of the originality of the first film in terms of its physical comedy that Eddie Murphy could bring to the stage because he can do a lot of physical comedy. It, what's strange to me, speaking of the, the difference in the gags, is the first film has a lot of simple, kind of innocent, dumb, funny jokes. And th- this movie feels like it, it barely has any jokes at it's, all. It's trying it's to mostly, be too smart. Yeah, it's trying, well, it's, it's it's trying it's to be too smart. Back, it's called Hawkbacks, the original, the McDowell's gang. Sure. Again. Yeah, it's a, a bunch of, like, it immediately totally loses new. your confidence with the onslaught of cameos and, and callbacks. But then when we it gets into its own plot, it's, you know, this thing about, like, you must pass the princely tests, like Black Panther-esque challenges, which, you know, why? Yeah, the, the, like, the, that, that wasn't... Like, that was fine, but it, it's also, like, it's neither original nor particularly funny in the execution here. No, and I think more to that, there's... They go for the big set pieces when you really just wanted to rely on... In the first film, it was Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy cracking on and having a good time doing impressions. Arsenio Hall is great. It's nice to see him again. In the first one, he had all these great insults. He'd fly at other people. Here, there's only a couple of lines where he works to that effect. Well, there's too many characters because they've brought in this uh, Queen's family and you've now you've got Tracy Morgan stealing screen time from Arsenio Hall. He's so lazy in this. He does not yeah, really just, give a damn. He's just doing and, his shtick. Yeah, and Leslie Jones, she's fine, but she's just very uh, loud. She's loud. She's loud, and I, I think the emphasis that's her, on that's her, that's her shtick. You know, she always brings that. But she has, but she has other great performances. Here, it's just they're relying on. Her, she, and she is charismatic, but they're relying on a charisma over giving her material that actually brings out how good she can be mm. and how good she is in other films. Mm. And you know what? This does my in terms of nostalgia. This does 
something that I hated in train spotting. I was thinking of train spotting as we were talking about this, actually, yeah. which is thinking about it now, actually, probably the most successful decades late film sequel. But it has that awful sequence where they there's one scene the where they literally just read the, the, not just clips, but they read the script from the first film. There's something equivalent to this where they just show several clips from the first movie. Mm. Everyone's seen Coming to America. A lot of people who watch this will have seen that recently. Why spend several minutes replaying clips that we've seen several times over? To I think it tries it's a way of legitimizing the connection to the first film because if you think about it this doesn't really feel much like the original coming to america it's a very different sort of film like you say it's very like big set piece based the original is a fairly simple fish out of water romantic comedy um which gets by on its charm this is is trying out so much like i said there's so many characters there's action set pieces um it, yeah, it's it, trying to go bigger yeah, but, but actually, the plot the, feels the, overstuffed. Yeah, 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 because the, like nothing's developed. I know that the the romance in the original maybe wasn't like the most the best romance in the world, but it still felt like it had more development to it than anything in here. Yeah, I mean, in the first one, there was this beautiful scene when he comes in the, 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 with the champagne glasses hiding behind. It. And I mean, it's it's it was a stupid moment, but it had sincerity to it. There's nothing which is sincere yeah. in this film. Yeah, the first film had a lot of had some sincerity to it. I can't feel that there's anything motivating this other than the quest for more Re- money. Which is kind of like Star Trek the kind three. of Yeah, but it kind of feels reminiscent of this kind of late stage capitalism uh, point where we are at with the Hollywood industry, which is like, okay, if we just, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of nostalgia, and then Chemical X, and then you have your film ready. It's like Powerpuff Girls yeah. 2.0. I, I think <laughs> one thing with that is Lisa had one of the best roles and characters in the first one. The actress is incredibly underused here. They could have built a whole story around her. They didn't. There's a great she, moment in the first film where she's reading because she's angry at Akeem and her father. Why were there these quiet moments like that where we just got to know her? Um, there was no sense of, like, her anger and frustration what happened drove a lot of the film and there's no sense of emotiveness equivalent emotiveness anywhere in this she was just kind of there again like to legitimize the connection they hadn't really imagined something for her to do like leslie jones has more to do and and she doesn't really have any kind of satisfying arc either the more we unpack this film the more i notice that that there's a lot of nothing cutting it out but when Virat was talking just then about um Sequels and yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you're going to say. Yeah, the moment where they start talking about um, uh, like unnecessary sequels and such—it's the worst moment in the film. You need to actually be bringing the goods if you're going to call out how bad what you're doing is. You know, you need to be better than that. You can only get away with a joke about like, "Haha, isn't it funny how people make lazy sequels that no one wanted?" Yeah, exactly. If, if you if, 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 if got you got really lazy good, sequel, yeah, yeah, you can get away with it. Like the Charlie's Angels got away with the opening bit about like damn another movie based on an old tv show because it was like a, a fairly funny fresh mainstream action and comedy it was good it was good and this if, if we've talked about it on the show before if you're going to be ironic and self-aware that's not enough you can't just coast in that it's so you just like be cleverer you feel the lack of confidence in the material coming from the writers it's like there's a scene at the this first the opening song of muppets most wanted where they say and we're doing a sequel but the sequel is never quite as good it's and that was actually i think a misjudged line it's an entire sequence that draws out what is that a line that they and tone that they think is funny, but actually just devalues the film. But before the son, um, Jermaine Fowler, what, what's his character's name? Uh, it just tells us. Like I watched this a yeah, day ago, and we me just, too, and we've we've already um, forgotten. I'm bringing it up now. But anyway, where it, it's pretty funny when um, you know before they go into talking about like, haha, isn't it funny when people make movies like Coming to America too? Um, it it leaves a bad taste in your mouth within this film where somebody 
uh, says American movies are the best in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, Lavelle Johnson. Lavelle Johnson, right. At this point, does anyone believe that anymore? Um, I don't, not with this. It's I don't, just I don't so think, like, the, you know, lazy. The, I, I, that, just that line got me thinking a lot about the cultural position we're in. Like he- hearing characters in this fairly desperate film say, you know, well, American entertainment's great. We make the best movies in the world. And I was thinking, like, does anyone really believe this? And, you know, and it ends with this big, we spent way too much money, big party scene. And yeah. like, it's like, you, as you were saying, it's really like, I, I'm, I'm not articulating this clearly enough, but you feel the, the late stage capitalism desperation. Right? I know, but, but I think, look, what we're trying to say is this, it's when you don't have anything on, on paper, you kind of try to fill it with fluff. Mm. Or you fill it with set pieces, you fill it with ironic breaking the fourth wall references, you fill it with nostalgia, because you hope that you can stick all these things on the wall and something might stick, because you don't have confidence in your material to begin with, because there's nothing there. And and there are good scenes, like the funeral scene, but there are very few sequences in this film that are even a patch on the first film. And speaking of ironic breaking the fourth wall, they actually, and this is a very 80s thing, there were actually a lot of moments where characters, rather than be ironic, broke the fourth wall and just looked at the camera in this moment of, and oh, my funny. God. And they were funny. But this, it showed how you could do it without being self-referential. Without being smug. And the film knew the, – the, the film didn't have aspirations to make hundreds of millions of dollars. It just wanted to be a fun film. This was in the Eddie Murphy period of Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours. He wanted to make a fun film with John Landis that – he, uh, sorry, he cared about. Um, that was a, a. He was actually going to direct this himself, and he he gave it to John Landis because he'd fallen on hard times and wanted to help him out after Trading Places. Interestingly, right. And again, um, with Craig Brewer, it's helping out a guy whose career has fallen on a bad way, giving him a surefire hit. I, I agree. I mean, Eddie Murphy is a great guy. He's definitely like you know helped out people in need, but doesn't mean that that doesn't mean the movie's good. <laughs> the movie's good. Yeah. One thing um, that. Uh, Odie Henderson's review at rogerebert.com drew my attention to. Um, he rightfully noticed that this is the best thing about the movie is the costume design by Ruth Carter, who also did the costume yes, design for, for Black, Black Panther. Panther, which she yeah. won the Oscar it's, for. It's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. She, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's amazing. Like r- really beautiful use of um, of African patterns. Yeah, and, and once again, very original. Like nothing, nothing drawing from imagery which we have seen before in cinema on screen. Yeah, it's still very, very fresh, very new. So, in that sense, actually. Uh, was an improvement on the first one because I didn't quite know, uh, you know, what their kind of fashion sense would be like in the first film. And clearly we're not like 30 it, years. If there was more of a improved, filmed in Africa. Yeah. There was more of a vague sense of like, oh, you know, like African-esque here's costumes. But here it's like really being imagined, which yeah. makes sense given that the film is really set in, in Africa, unlike the first one. Um, but um, it didn't feel like Africa. And the first one didn't either but no, it, it felt more real I, I love the scene where the elephant just I, I know they weren't real but the elephants pop by it just felt a little more lived in I love the elephant was called Baba uh, yeah I like that touch too <laughs> and the original as well Baba have ruled with an iron fist let's not forget Jermaine Fowler was very good I think I think he had has a lot of charisma and I'd like to see him in a better written film uh, should we should we tell tell them about the comment that you made uh, off air about uh, let's Fowler? not go there um, <laughs> I, I, I think he's good I just think and, and this is the unfortunate thing for him that it just, like Leslie Jones, it doesn't show how talented he is or can be. Yeah, but you can clearly see that he has something. He just needs to be in a better movie. Um, the dad of the McDowell's owner, he was good in this. He's, yeah, he is good. Yeah, I, 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 I did like seeing all these folks who aren't big movie stars suddenly were called up and told, hey, you want to be in a movie, the, the sequel to a movie you went 30 years ago? 
um, what's what hot American summer style? Actually, Hell yeah! And, and the same thing. I think we could use the same ensemble in a better film. Oh, I absolutely! Really, really think because they're all talented Some people. Great talent there. Turn it, I, put a film around Lisa. Put a film around a spinoff. Yeah, I'm loving these comic performances from Wesley Snipes in this. And all yeah. that's my name. Yeah, but this, this, is, this is the annoying thing. Um, they just regurgitated the storylines and arcs from the first film. Yeah. What if, what if the film had opened with hi, I have three daughters. One of them's going to be queen. I'm pushing this through, and we, this is this fight to make. Um, the change in Zamunda. This is her a, going to America or meeting someone she cared about. That would have been much better. I think part of the problem in creating this film was that Eddie Murphy wanted it to some extent to focus on his character. And so any I, that's you know pretty much rules out a plot without going even more desperate where he returns to America again. Because yeah. apparently the reason why the Michael B. Jordan starring version um, from Ryan Coogler that I mentioned earlier wasn't made is because in Ryan Coogler's script, more of the focus of the film was going to be on the son, Michael B. Jordan, and yeah. Eddie Murphy wanted to make sure that he himself had a decent-sized role in the narrative. But to me, that's confusing because he essentially does nothing in the film in terms of the agency and the choices is still carried by the Jermaine Fowler character, the son. Yeah. So at least if he went with a Kugler version, we might have had a good movie. I'm not sure why uh, he rejected I, 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 it, I, I, seeing I, I, what we I, ended up with. I think I think there's a bit of insecurity at play where he just wanted more screen time. He was yeah, just, even, just if, even if he doesn't have to do anything. Yeah, pretty much. You and, still, and he was equating uh, people will find him funny purely because here by, I am, by Eddie Murphy, it's back, yeah. coming to America. Yeah, yeah, pretty Remember much. how much you loved this movie, but he doesn't have a arc in this no he doesn't i got a really bad feeling about this film a couple of minutes in when eddie murphy says are my robes on fleek that's when i knew it was going to be bad you know it was fun the singer the guy the attendant uh the one who was in the first film who does those amazing singing cameos he was good there was there were things going for this there were things that i wish could have been or better better thought out i just wish it were ever to be put into the writing yeah. It's a, it's a simple thing. They just coasted on the appeal of the first film. I don't know why Craig Brewer yeah, did go this. Go watch the first one rather than watch it, watch sure. this, honestly. They're both on Prime. So this has been Glenn Fowling, Sankara Simmons, and Rotten Neru. We'll be back next week talking Judas and the Black Messiah. Check out the Judas National Film Festival, Transitions, the Japanese Film Festival, and the Only Ones French, French Film Festival. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Have a wonderful night and enjoy movies. Good night. <laughs>